Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the ups and downs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're reflecting on the untimely death of the Noise Academy, a racially integrated school in pre-Civil War New Hampshire that was forced to close by local racists. The day was August 10, 1835. A mob of hundreds of white men used a team of oxen to pull an integrated schoolhouse off its foundation. Over the next several days, the mob proceeded to drag the building more than half a mile down the road, eventually leaving it in a swamp just outside the town of Canaan. As one of the first integrated schools in the country, Noise Academy was an early experiment in interracial coeducation. The school's founders included its namesake, Samuel Noyes, and other open-minded residents of Canaan, as well as abolitionists from Boston, Portland, and New York. The driving force behind the school was George Kimball, a Massachusetts native who had moved to Canaan in 1826 to practice law. He raised funds to open the school, solicited students from throughout New England to attend it, and even housed some of them in his own home. Kimball also outlined the goal of the new school to the rest of the town, writing, quote, It is unhappily true that the colored portion of our fellow citizens, even in the free states, while their toil and blood have contributed to establish, and their taxes equally with those of whites to maintain our free system of education, have practically been excluded from the benefits of it. This institution proposes to restore, so far as it can, to this neglected and injured class, the privileges of literary, moral, and religious instruction. The proposal was readily endorsed by the newly formed New Hampshire Anti-Slavery Society and was soon promoted in William Lloyd Garrison's popular anti-slavery newspaper, The Liberator. Kimball and his fellow supporters petitioned the New Hampshire state legislature for a charter to found the school. 
and on July 4, 1834, their request was granted. After seven months of preparation, the Noise Academy finally opened its doors in March of 1835. The inaugural class included roughly 42 students, both boys and girls, between the ages of 14 and 18. 28 of them were white, and 14 were black. The white students were mostly local to Canaan, while the black students came from all over the Northeast, some from as far away as Philadelphia. Their journey to the small New Hampshire town had been riddled with indignities. Black passengers were forced to sit on the outside of carriages, even on cold nights, and anti-abolitionists in Canaan and neighboring communities had posted signs along the road, directing students to quote, N-word town. Once they arrived in Canaan, the black students were split into small groups and placed under the care of local abolitionists and teachers, including George Kimball. The school's first few months of operation passed peacefully enough, but in the early summer, pro-slavery newspapers began stirring up controversy. The New Hampshire Patriot, for instance, the New Hampshire Patriot, for instance, warned that black students were beginning to fraternize with their white peers and that in some cases, they were even being waited on at home by white servants. Since the establishment of the school, the paper reported, it has been no uncommon spectacle to witness colored gentlemen walking arm in arm with what ought to be respectable white females. And it is said that one of the principal agitators of the slave question in this state, George Kimball Esquire and his family, sit at table with a half-dozen colored people while a white girl attends upon them as servant. Some residents of Canaan had opposed Noise Academy from the beginning, believing that it would upset the town's social order and open the door to interracial romance. The negative reporting of the Patriot and other papers stoked those racist fears and compelled some members of the public to call for the school to be closed. By early July, rumors began to circulate that the school would be attacked, then, on the night of July 4th, a large group of anti-abolitionists marched to the door of the academy. They were met there by Dr. Timothy Tilton, a town magistrate who had elected to spend the night inside the building in case the rumors of a riot proved true. Tilton told the crowd that they were breaking the law and then began calling out the names of the people he recognized. Without anonymity to shield them from prosecution, the mob backed down and Noise Academy was left intact. However, the anti-abolition forces didn't give up that easily. Their next tactic in the fight to close the school was to go through official channels. They drafted a resolution declaring the academy a, quote, nuisance, and then forced a vote on it at the next town meeting. The resolution ultimately passed, though the legality of the vote was widely questioned, as the school had been chartered by the state and therefore couldn't be closed, much less dismantled, by a simple community vote. Nonetheless, a committee was formed to oversee the school's removal, and $135 in town funds was set aside to cover the expense. A few weeks later, on August 10th, approximately 500 men gathered outside Noise Academy. The crowd, led by Ben Porter and Jacob Trussell, was reportedly in high spirits, with many men visibly intoxicated. An article from the Concord Patriot later noted that the mob was a who's who of the local community and included, quote, many of the most wealthy and respected farmers of this and the adjacent towns. 
Once again, Dr. Tilton tried to disperse the mob, but this time, the men just pushed right past him, claiming that the law was on their side. With the opposition out of the way, the mob got right to work. First, they smashed the fence in front of the school to clear a path for the building. Next, they assembled a team of about a hundred oxen on the lawn, and then they hitched the animals to the schoolhouse and pulled it from its foundation. Once their work was done, the drunken mob dispensed with its claim to legal authority and made its way to the homes of local abolitionists, where black students were known to be boarding. The crowd then fired cannons and small arms into the houses and warned those inside that they had one month to leave town or else. Some abolitionists, and even a student or two, exchanged fire with the mob, creating a distraction that allowed George Kimball and others to quietly evacuate the rest of the black students. Walls were damaged and windows were shattered, but thanks to their quick work, no lives were lost that night. It took several more days to transport the schoolhouse to its temporary resting place, in a swamp on the outskirts of town. Then, one month later, the mob reassembled and hauled the school to its new permanent location. After that, there was frequent talk of repairing and reopening the school as a white-only institution, but given the building's fraught history, most residents weren't excited by the prospect. Three years later, in 1838, the town finally started making repairs to the vacant building, beginning with the installation of brand new windows. However, the school mysteriously caught fire a few months later, and no one even tried to extinguish it. The people responsible for Noise Academy's destruction were never charged with a crime, and most maintained they had done nothing wrong. One of the ringleaders, Ben Porter, did allegedly apologize to Henry Highland Garnet several years after the school's destruction, but his partner in crime, Jacob Trussell, never showed any sign of remorse. In fact, he even got the Canaan Town meeting to agree to defend him against any legal claims that might arise from his role in the incident. Trussell may have gotten a free pass from the town itself, but his church was far less forgiving. In 1839, the Congressional Church of Canaan excommunicated him and made it known far and wide that through his actions, he had set himself against his fellow man and against his God. As for the black students who'd been driven out of Canaan, many were able to enroll in other interracial institutions. For example, Henry Highland Garnet, Julia Williams, and Alexander Crummel all completed their education at the Oneida Institute, a trade school in New York to which black and white students were admitted equally. Garnet and Williams later married, and both went on to prominent roles in the abolition movement, as did several of their fellow Noyes students, including Thomas Paul Jr., Alexander Crummel, and Thomas Sidney. In 1865, Garnet also became the first black minister to deliver a sermon to Congress, preaching, as you might expect, on the immorality of slavery. The story of Noyes Academy is a sad reminder that there will always be some jerk with a team of oxen trying to halt the progress of people who don't look or act like they do. But the allyship of the Canaan abolitionists and the resilience of the school's students are also a powerful reminder of just what to do in such circumstances. Shake the dust off your heels and keep right on moving forward. 
I'm Gabe Lucier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions you'd like to pass along, feel free to do so by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.